0: Hey everybody, this is David Lombardi and you could catch me, Matt Barrows and former 49ers defensive end Dennis Brown talking all things 49ers on our podcast. Here's the catch. Listen for free on Apple every Monday and for weekly bonus episodes exclusively on The Athletic. Let's go man. there it I'll do. It. You're listening to "Here's the Catch" with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, we're spending our 49ers bye week just like George Kittle is pounding some beers. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> Cheers, Matt. I,
1: I had a water somewhere.
0: Well, we know um, why you got married last night, Dennis. <laughs> yeah.
1: Congratulations to Dennis. <laughs> well, well, thank you, and, and look at that action, huh? Wow. Nice. And and the word is, I'm supposed to keep it on. Is that, that onyx? Is that idea? Uh, yeah. I'm gonna call it. No, I'm gonna call it um,
0: titanium. Titanium. Hey,
2: titanium doesn't break. That's the bond that lasts forever.
0: (laughs) So I like that. I like that. What? I coined it what a bye week we have we have beers we have drinks we have a water dennis got married the 49ers are still undefeated everything's good everything's good life life is good right now and follow some of these guys on social media or you don't even have to follow george kittle on social media to know that he's having a good time the the beer yeah. i was referring to he was with jimmy garoppolo at the wrestling event down. Then he was at
2: iowa Center. for the uh the iowa game on saturday too.
0: so he's all over the country yeah. uh, right now Well, he's
1: living his best life and and you know so deserve, I mean he is, he is having a good season, so I mean he doesn't get, he's not getting the catches like he did last season in, the, in those big yards, but he's still I mean he's out there, he's blocking, he's doing what he's supposed to do. he's running the offense, he's having a good season so far and he's helping out his buddy Jimmy Garoppolo. I didn't know they were so tight, but watching that wrestling looks like they're pretty tight.
2: he's probably been the best 49. I know his stats aren't quite what they were last year, but to me he's been the best. 49ers uh, player through three games uh, certainly on the offense and I'm trying to think of who would be second maybe like Fred Warner or Quan Alexander but uh, yeah, I, would say I feel Quan. like
0: I would say Quan Alexander yeah, yeah. Quan. Despite, Quan's been awesome despite kind of getting ejected
2: check. in the first game he's that, been...
0: you know that yeah that's crazy we forget about that right and yeah he, I mean, he was really good in a few plays in that opener against Tampa Bay but then he got ejected so we didn't get to see him he got the game ball some people were all up in arms about that why is the guy who got ejected getting the game ball, but he set the tone and he has continued to set the tone for the defense. Now, just a quick disclaimer in case people were wondering why we're cheersing on the air of our podcast. This is actually a live recording. We're doing it at Woodbury bar in San Francisco here on Sunday while Bruce Bochy is managing his final giants game. and, And while some other NFL games are on the 49ers on their bye week thank you to the Woodbury bar for hosting us here on here's the catch. The athletics 49ers podcast so guys we're still over a week away from this season resuming for the 49ers they're going to get some practices in um they're relatively healthy not fully healthy but boy this is going to be a showdown on on monday night the browns looking good right now so we'll we'll see if that holds up but either way it's going to be the undefeated 49ers against the cleveland browns team that win or lose is going to be fun to watch i think it's going to be an intriguing matchup on Monday night
2: and, and it's not very hard to figure out what the matchups are to watch in this game because you've got two really young uh yeah don't want to say first-time starters but Justin School uh who played against Bud Dupree uh against the Steelers and did well is going to be facing Miles Garrett more in this game and uh that's a, a matchup to watch and then um you're going to have Emmanuel Mosley probably going up against Odell Beckham so you got maybe the two best players on the Browns, going up against two not not quite first-time starters because School has a start, but this would be the first start for Emmanuel Mosley at cornerback. Those are those are two big things, and and I just wonder how the 49ers are going to go about uh, kind of uh, you know, helping those guys, whether they can give Mosley some help over the top. You know, the, the difference between this year and last year is that Richard Sherman is. You know, 100% healthy. Yeah, he's Sherman um, this year. And and you couldn't do bracket coverage last year with Sherman because he was still coming back from the uh, the Achilles injury, and you couldn't leave him alone on an island. But I wonder whether that's going to to be the case. Whether they they give that uh, that right cornerback, who probably going to be Emmanuel Mosley, making his first start, 23 years old. Whether they just leave a safety over the top of him and leave Richard Sherman alone on an island, which. You know, will, will be interesting in itself, but uh, th- those two matchups to me are going to be the, the the two to watch in this game.
1: And you're talking about a, uh, a a Cleveland Browns team that's still trying to find their identity. And you know that receiving crew is good. Jarvis Landry. I mean, these are Pro Bowl receivers. And you know you're going to have a challenge in that in that secondary because you have to cover both those guys. And uh, it, it's going to be a challenge. We're going to see what happens with Richard Sherman, but. Yeah, Mosey's going to have to have his best game. And those linebackers going to have their best game. And Baker Mayfield, I mean, he's not a bad quarterback. He's, a, he's got a strong arm and he's got a lot of confidence. And, yes. you know, he brings that to the team. And he's a guy who wants to make the plays down the field. He doesn't mind getting out the pocket, extending plays. And he wants to make those throws down the field. So you got you to contain that quarterback. And I think if you can if you can make this team one dimensional, their run game is not the best, but it's a good, decent run game. Make him one-dimensional and make Baker Mayfield make mistakes down the field.
0: Well, he's got escapability, right? Yes. And what do they say? you got to keep the quarterback in the cage. And what's been the one criticism so far of Nick Bosa? He hasn't been finishing some right. of those sacks. And I think that Baker Mayfield is the kind of quarterback that makes it hard to finish a sack because he's slippery. I think the shorter stature actually helps him in that regard. He's able to wiggle his way out of some things, and I think this is going to be a test for the 49ers defensive line, not just to, you know, get to Baker Mayfield, but to finish this week, and make sure that if you don't finish, keep him in the pocket, because so far they've been so good with keeping quarterbacks contained. Even if Bosa's missed out on a few sack opportunities. They have affected the passer in every single game so far this year. And look at the Browns. They've struggled in pass protection. I think number 28 in the NFL right now. So... This should be a good opportunity for the 49ers to get into the backfield. The question is, will they get into the backfield and then keep Baker Mayfield there? Don't let him slip out, and, and that's where he's really dangerous. Yeah, I think that's the next step
2: for, for Nick Bosa. I mean, we've, we've seen him affect uh, uh, opposing passers. We haven't seen him finish off, and um, you know, maybe that's partly attributable to his, uh, his, his ankle, ankle injury, but uh, that, that's something that he's got to add, and, and he knows that. He, he's, he said as much after the Steelers game uh, he's just kind of got to get there at the end. And it was kind of interesting to talk to him after the Steelers game because he did note that uh, for all those practices that he, he goes through, he's able to get around the the offensive tackle, but he's not allowed to hit the quarterback. So it's something he never is able to practice from May through August. And uh, I wonder whether that's, you know, for, especially for a rookie pass rusher, whether that's something – uh, that that's difficult because you never get a chance to actually hit the quarterback, which has been the the, the last piece of the puzzle for somebody like Nick Bosa.
1: Yeah, and and, and and you're right. I mean, that's something in practice as a defensive lineman, and, and there's different ways of kind of learning it. You run through the quarterback. So if you get your, you got your pass rush move, you beat your guy. The point or that spot where the quarterback is, you train yourself, your body, to run through that spot. Not hitting the quarterback because we had Joe, we had Steve, you couldn't hit those, of course. So we knew a spot where Joe would be. So as a defensive lineman, you got your body ready for a sack. So you broke down, you got your legs apart, your feet apart, chopping, and you ran through a point so that's what he's got to start working on getting your body ready because when you get to that point in a football game and like this face it these quarterbacks are a lot different than he faced in college these are slippery quarterbacks or dirt quarterbacks they're stronger quarterbacks they know how to get out of the pocket and extend play so he has to work his body so with that ankle chop your feet get down in a football stance and run through, and you do that in practice and you learn it. Do
2: you aim for a certain spot on the quarterback's body? Do you well, like aim for his waist or, or no, something No, no, like an
1: outside rusher, you're always going to aim for the outside shoulder because you don't want a quarterback to do that spin and come on the outside. Right. So you're always aiming for that outside shoulder. So you kind of teach yourself to when you get to that point, run through that point outside shoulder.
0: Dennis, I'm curious. Steve Young was on your team, so obviously he wasn't the, the most slippery guy that you faced. But in the 90s, who was the toughest quarterback in the NFL to bring down? Randall Cunningham. I played against Randall Cunningham
1: and he and he he was the toughest quarterback to bring down and I, I see things on on uh, ESPN ESPN now 30 for 30 things. He was a tough because he was an athlete. I think he was way before his time, but he had the ability, we talk about extend plays. That's just what he did. And he had those long legs. He could jump over, he could run around, he could run through you. So Definitely Randall Cunningham. And he had
2: the arm
0: when he did get three. He could
2: really make you pay for for a whiff or or, or two. It's funny.
0: You you physically describe him, and I think the most slippery quarterback now is probably Russell Wilson, who is not built like Randall Cunningham. He's the short guy that's doing all the Houdini acts. So I think that surprised a lot of people. Maybe that's a you know, very symbolic of how the NFL has changed, right? People doubted Russell Wilson when he came into the league. They said, you know, this guy who's barely six feet tall, if, if that, it, it can play quarterback in the NFL. But the way that offenses have changed, the way that the game has evolved, you see a lot of shorter guys. Baker Mayfield, the next yeah. 49ers Kyle opponent, Murray, one of them. Kyler Murray, year, yeah, part. yeah, twice right. in a year. Well, so, I, think, I think
1: the rules have changed, too, in football. I mean, when I was playing, I mean, the little guy, little quarterback, you got beat up. But the rules aren't the same now. I mean, you're not getting hit after the play. you not getting hit running down the field. So I think this college-type quarterback, the smaller quarterback, can do a lot better in the NFL now because the rules have kind of changed. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of focused on the offense for the offense to succeed and the defense to have a harder time. So yeah. I, I, that's just my personal thing watching the game now. I think a smaller quarterback, an elusive quarterback, a quick quarterback, like a Russell Wilson, I mean – you can do a lot more damage because the rules are kind of on your side.
2: Did you or anybody else on that defense ever get in trouble for hitting Never, Joe or Steve? Oh, Joe or Steve. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, jersey. so
1: so you knew. you. I mean, you knew that you weren't going to hit him anyway. Sure. But I, mean, I don't think anybody – if anybody ever slipped up and maybe, you know, hit an arm or hit a finger or something like that, it was, you know, you, you knew real quick. From and and it wasn't just line. the offense. Yeah. It, was, it was everybody. I mean, it was the front office. It was everybody. You don't touch – joe or steve because that is your franchise quarterback and you know they're pretty decent quarterbacks you don't want them hurt oh no but here's a, here's a here's a funny thing about it when i was playing we had joe was a starter steve young was a backup and steve boner was number three you know then it was uh steve being the starter it was bone the backup and elvis gerback was right. so we always had kind of deep in the quarterback position so um but you didn't want to hit him and if you hit him if you touch him if you came close to him uh you had an earful from everybody.
2: Who was the big enforcer? Like, who, who, who would be the guy in the offensive line that you would really Paris have to Barton, do? Paris okay.
1: Barton, uh, Steve Wallace, you know, offensive linemen will always take care. Of, but Tom Rathman was big. Uh, Ricky Waters was like, don't touch my quarterback. You know, the receivers, of course, Jerry was like, don't touch my quarterback. Don't even touch his hands. So, you know, it was a lot of enforcers. Uh, on the team it, th- that just spoke to leadership too so on, on even on the defensive side you know yeah. you know Michael Carter was 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 the most angriest man I've ever been around but when it came to quarterback don't touch your quarterback you know don't come close to him so th- but that just spoke to a lot of leadership there on was on the team when I was there
0: and you know what else spoke to the leadership was how that team really didn't skip a beat not only from Joe to to Steve obviously that's famous that's going down in, in the history of the NFL as one of the great transitions quarterback-wise. But even when Steve wasn't available, and I think that the game that sticks out most is at Dallas, the year after he won the Super Bowl, right? Right. And I think legend has it that a lot of Bay Area media members did not even travel to Dallas because they thought that the 49ers were going to get smoked that week. I don't know if it's true, but I know that Steve Young, I think, has said that. You guys went and won that game, or yeah, I know you jumped out by like 28 points with Elvis Gerback as the starting quarterback. And, yeah, and,
1: and that was the beginning of kind of Elvis's. You know, he went on to Kansas City, yeah. but that was a. Everyone's just kind of like, "Who's this Elvis Gerback guy?" And he went out there and he he smoked it up. I mean, he had a he had his career game, and you know, we won that football game, and no one thought we were going to win it by a lot. So it it was you know on the road against Dallas, of course, but yeah, I mean that was it. You know, Steve was down of us was up and we talk about, you know, next person up or next guy up. That was always a mentality. I mean, at least when I was here for the for the 8 seasons. The next, glory years. And that's what that's where they are right now.
2: Next guy up is is the theme uh, right now for, for the, the 49ers. 40 yeah. Yeah. And I
1: believe that they I mean, I really believe John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan they believe in the guys they have on the roster. I don't know in the past years that's been true. No. But I think they believe, they truly believe in a Mosley or a school. I think they believe these guys are going to go out and play well. It, we'll see this week. But I do believe they believe that they have what they need on, in, it, in the house right now. I,
2: I wrote about that uh, this weekend, about how the, there's something to be gained. If you if you do do that, if, if you do the next guy up theory and you believe in your own team, and those guys do deliver I would imagine that that really sort of continues to strengthen yeah. what you've got yeah. going yeah. in the locker room
1: yeah and 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 school I mean I'm sure this week in practice you got a lot of you know congratulations yeah. I'm sure coach pointed out plays that he blocked well or he passed pro well and that builds confidence for that player just in school but also that entire offensive line that entire offensive side and then the defense starts saying hey This is a guy. Now, we'll see. He'll get a challenge this week, and we'll really see what he's about this week. But for right now, you're right.
0: It just builds that strength in the team. There are so many benefits to building a team from the homegrown angle, Right. starting with the financial benefits. Say that Justin School was a disaster at left tackle. There would be no way that the 49ers can play with him for several weeks. What if they did have to go out and make a big trade? You know for a guy like trent williams from washington just just throwing that name out there imagine how expensive that would be in terms of both draft capital and financial capital because the guy's holding out he wants a lot of money well look the 49ers are playing so well right now at other positions it looks like a guy like eric armstead they may want to keep him he's going to command a lot of money and you already have the deforest buckner extension looming uh, guys like Kyle Uschek are going to have to get paid again relatively soon. And you know this this cap space Oh, George which, Kittle's going yeah, to get paid. Obviously yeah, obviously George Kittle. You got really to keep Kittle. And that's Kittle. probably yeah. this off season. So anyway, uh, uh, the the better you play, the more guys need to get paid. And all of a sudden you're going to go from the 49ers 2 years ago had the most cap space in the league to a team that's going to be right up against the cap. So when you do get a contribution in a pinch from a guy like Justin School, you know, a 6th round draft pick, instead of having to go spend more draft capital and more money for somebody else, that that has a carryover positive effect, and it would have a carryover disastrous negative effect if you don't get that contribution, if you're having to rely on rental players. Yeah. So it's just way more sustainable to actually hit with your draft picks and have these guys be able to fill in in that way um, beyond the chemistry. I think you guys brought up great points chemistry-wise, but financially, the way to build a sustainable winner is to, is to hit on these later-round draft picks because they could fill in at positions of depth yeah, and, you know? and, I, and and I
1: believe you know when you go out a scouting department goes out and you and you scout guys I don't think you are scouting backups I mean I believe you are always scouting someone who's going to contribute to the team a, a starter in two years or, or an immediate starter I don't think guys are pretty really brought in to sit in a practice squad you don't draft a guy to sit on the bench. Too to, few to be spots two. for that. They're yeah, so I think, I think when they see a guy, they see something in a guy, a player, and they say, well, this guy is going to be our left tackle. You know, when uh, two years, three years, but he is going to be a starting tackle in the national football. And that's what I think that's what the scouting uh, department does. And I think it's come a little early for just, but it's an opportunity. You just want an opportunity to play. We talk about guys who need to be on the football field. He's got his opportunity now, and I hope, I hope he continues to do well there, because that's what you brought here. I believe that's what you brought here to do, is to play that position. As far
2: as, far as the chemistry, you had last week uh, Joe Staley bringing Justin School over to his house. Staley had to be at his house, because he had to basically keep his foot up, elevated uh, throughout the week, throughout that first week after his fracture. So while he was doing that, he couldn't do anything uh, that first week after the break, but he was able to watch film, and he had school over a couple of days of the week, and he sat down with school and said, "Listen, if I was uh, preparing for Bud Dupree this week, this is what I would do." And That's they and huge. they went, yeah, that is exactly, huge. just just point by point over how a 13-year veteran would prepare for it, and I, I have to imagine that that really benefited Justin School quite a bit, and um, you know, Emmanuel Mosley is this week. You've got another multi-year veteran in Richard Sherman. I, I don't know this for a fact, but I, I think this is a, a very safe guess that Sherman is going to basically, you know, take the role that uh, Staley did last week and really walk this guy through how to prepare for your first start. And if it works out like this, this would be really fantastic for what we were just talking about—the chemistry—and and for the fact that okay, now you've got a you know you've got a guy. That if push comes to shove, you can put out there on game day and he's going to deliver. This this could be a a, a nice turning point for uh, a couple of younger guys on this team.
1: And you're just talking about leadership right there. That's all that is, is leadership. I mean, I never went to anybody's house, but I can remember Kevin Fagan and Pierce Holt sitting with me. uh, Because my first start was against the Rams and uh, Pierce Holt had pulled his ham or something. He wasn't sure he was going to play. Uh, and him and Kevin Fagan took me in a room, in our film room, and we went over Jackie Slater film. And they were like, this is what he's gonna do. Wow, he's gonna Jackie hit, Slater. Yeah. Hall so, of that Famer. That was your first uh, Hall opponent? of Famer. Wow. So to this day, I always say to Pierce, were you really hurt or you just did not want to play? <laughs> but, but it was great though, because they, he told me, he was like, he's gonna headbutt you, he's gonna, he's, gonna, he's gonna punch you with his hands, the first pass rush, and all that happened. And that's just them, you know, they've been there, kind of done that, and that's that veteran leadership I think this team has not had. And just hearing that, that what Joe Staley did and, and you know, maybe Richard Sherman doing it, I'm sure he has done that, that's just leadership. It just reminds me of the team when we had a lot of leaders and we all the leaders wanted to win. It wasn't like the leaders like, I'm not playing, I hope the team loses. I'm not in the game. I want you to succeed because I want this team to succeed because I want to win a championship. How did
2: you do in that game? I, I did pretty
1: I decent. I mean, I wouldn't it wasn't no little Hall of Fame game, but <laughs> Jackie Slater was, you know, Jackie Slater, yeah. Hall of Famer, offensive tackle. And, you know, he used me a little bit. He got some, most of them, and I got some too. But it was all because of Pierce was like, this is what he's going to do, you know, on this play. Run play, he's going to step out there. He's going to try to get you. out, He's going to try to cut you. You know, so that's just that leadership and just kind of passing it on. Not passing a torch,
0: passing information on. I think that's why it made so much sense to take that flyer on Richard Sherman last year, even though he was coming off his Achilles entries, because you knew that he was going to be a guy that was going to be vocal from day one. And as soon as the 49ers sat down with Sherman and talked to him, I think it became apparent to them that he was going to bring that leadership aspect, even as he was still recovering from the Achilles. And we... Went out to OTAs first day out there. Richard Sherman was a coach on the field. He couldn't play yet. He was still months away from being cleared. But that fire, that veteran leadership, and you know, that really transpired across the whole season last yeah. year. And they ran through what nine different safety combinations. Yeah. Uh, you know the quarter, the cornerback situation opposite Sherman was a revolving door as well. Uh, he wasn't fully healthy, so the secondary had a rough year. But they grew last year. And I think a big part of that growth was Sherman in that film room, Sherman pushing those guys, Sherman raising his voice sometime, giving some tough love. Akello Witherspoon is Exhibit A. We're not going to see him now for about, what, a month or so, but yeah. Akello Witherspoon has made a huge stride from the time that Sherman showed up to now, yeah. and he credits Sherman. You talked to Akello Witherspoon and he... He had basically had a poster of this guy up on his wall back in <laughs> high school. I mean, he idolized him, and now he's his teammate, and, and obviously and he's, he's listening to everything he says. Yeah. So I think that it all has come full circle, and the 49ers made it a concerted effort to bring in the cover three cornerback, the prototype in Sherman. He may not be healthy, but we know that he's going to teach our young guys the system if we bring him in. No.
2: I can't get over that Dennis's first game came against Jackie Slater. Well,
0: no, That
1: was my first start. So, first start. Yeah, so it was it – was, so Pierce Hall it was Pierce, Michael Carter, Charles Haley and Kevin Fagan was a starting defensive yeah, line. Yeah, that's a
2: good defensive line. They were line. great
1: defensive line. And but I played a lot my first my rookie season, but my second season was my very first start. It was against the Rams at Candlestick. And it was Jackie Slater. Yeah, did, I, did
2: you ever get to meet uh, or talk to Jackie Slater after a game? He's like one of the nicest guys. Super nice. Oh, I've talked pl- to him planet. several times, yeah. Didn't yeah. remember me. I was like, hey, do you remember me? And He was like, no, no.
1: You're just one of those scrubs that I ran over. So, uh, But, yeah, he's a great guy, great guy, great guy. And his son. Yeah, I mean, his, his son is a great, still playing. Yeah, absolutely. He's a great special yeah. teamer. He's got about five rings. A totally different body. I mean, he, he does yeah.
2: not have Jackie's body. Uh, he's a
1: special teams guy.
2: Yeah, he's a, he's uh, a
0: fast guy. Yeah. So I was just down in Anaheim uh, covering the A's, and it, obviously you, you once played there. Well, the, the Funny trivia for 49ers fans, the old Anaheim Stadium was modeled after Candlestick in a lot of ways. It, it, looked, it looks a lot like yeah, Candlestick. Not, yeah. not anymore, unfortunately, because or probably fortunately for baseball purposes, they took out the whole outfield upper deck, but they enclosed that one just like they enclosed Candlestick, and the seats in the outfield would no. slide in. Now, the trivia there is Joe Montana never lost a game in the old Angel Stadium. The Rams played there for from 80 to 94, I believe. That sounds Joe right. Joe Montana huh? never lost there. Can you imagine that? Yeah. What if Jimmy Garoppolo – I mean, he still can do it. What if Jimmy Garoppolo plays – 14 years for the 49ers and never loses to the Rams in the Coliseum and, and in their new place. Yeah, that, I, I, that don't, would I don't I do be crazy.
1: Well, there was a time where, you know, the Rams were kind of the team that we look forward to playing. So the same was like the same old Rams. You know, we could always play and We could always beat them. I, don't, I can't remember losing a game to the Rams in, in eight seasons with the NFL. So You
0: might not have. Wasn't there like a 19-game winning streak? I think the huh? 49ers beat the Rams like it was 19 or 20. And it yeah. finally ended when Steve got hurt, when Steve had that concussion that year. I remember that, yeah. yeah. What,
2: what were those games like as far as atmosphere? Because The you, Ram you, games? Yeah, you go to the Coliseum now, and, it, and it's a lot of 49ers fans the last few years. And I feel like that's become like a thing, like on the road. I don't know whether it's because ticket prices are so high or, or, or what, but you see a lot of the, the opposing... Teams fans on the road now. You saw that, you know, in in Levi's on Sunday with all those Steelers fans. You also saw a lot of 49ers fans
1: in Tampa. Well, I I think it's it's a different. So when I was playing, there was actual booster clubs like you would have in your high school or college. Now they have these chapters, and chapters are a group of fans that might meet at a restaurant somewhere, never really go to the games. Uh, and they, you know, not not in San Francisco, but they may live in L.A. Or, uh, or Chicago or Tampa. Just 49er fans that meet as a chapter and they just watch the game. Yeah. So when the team comes into town, the 49ers have organized, I think they call them takeovers. So they'll send someone from the front office and they'll get to these chapters and they'll get, you know, discounted tickets, whoever it might be, and they'll have the chapter go to the games. So they get all these guys, like 200 people. You know, they get them all fired up, you know, be in the bar, their their local bar, then they all make it to the game. They have these takeovers. And I think we saw in Tampa, I mean, there were tons of 49ers fans. And just on my Facebook feed, my timeline, I have these chapters. I'm, you know, I'm friends with all these different chapters. And, you know, they were fired up, you know, 49er takeover. And and it was great because I think it felt to me like those two home games or those two road games were kind of home games. There was a lot of 49er fans out there. And as a team gets better, You know, you're going to see more and more, you know, we saw it at at, uh, Levi's last week. I mean, you got a winning product on the field, people are going to come. But there's still some real faithful fans out there, and they don't live in San Francisco.
0: On a related note, I think the best place to watch your team play if you're in a major city is not actually in the city that that team is based. So, for example, if I wanted to go to a bar and get the rowdiest 49ers crowd I could do better and find a better bar for that in New York or in L.A. than in San Francisco. Because in San Francisco, all the fans are dispersed. Some of them are watching at you home. You know,
1: we're in San Francisco right now. Yeah, you know we, yeah we are in San Francisco. But, no, no, th- th-
0: this is the point. And this is the, the true if you're a New York Giants fan. You're going to find a better bar in San Francisco to watch your team. Because these teams have bars in different cities. So, yeah. for the 49ers, it's the San Francisco Saloon down on Pico in L.A. You really? go and watch a game there, and all the 49ers fans that are you know really hardcore in the area... They're forced to bond together and converge into one place, and the place is lit. I mean, and you have to be crazy. a super fan in yeah. order to be, there. To be right. there. Guys are wearing helmets as they're watching the game <laughs> in this bar. In New York, it's Finnerty's. It's, uh, it's in the East Village. That
2: would be a great story to do, to, to figure out the best away bar for ev- all 32 teams. Uh,
0: yeah, and San- so San Francisco's got a lot of good ones for, for all, all the teams here, so maybe I could do that yeah. for San Francisco. New York City's great, too. It's a Sounds dense Sounds like city. a tour to me. A That's actually, tour? huh? Yeah, we, we could do a bar Maybe tour. we, maybe bar we tour. could record hey, every we're, week we're gonna out of a different one. On yeah. Yeah. We're taking it on the so, road. Yeah, get a van,
1: <laughs> get it wrapped.
0: Huh? A- ask me the team, and I'll tell you the bar. I know a lot of them now. Like the Seahawks are Danny Coyles in, in the Lower Haight, and when the Seahawks were good and they were you know, in that rivalry with the 49ers, that was the one island in San Francisco where the Seahawks could be yeah. safe, and they were going crazy out in the Lower Haight. So, so, so
1: what I'm hearing, David, is that you visit a lot of bars yeah
0: <laughs> I don't necessarily drink That's what at I'm, all hearing. Of them, but That's what I'm hearing. You, right you know now. what I do during the playoffs, and I've gotten to do it the last couple of years, if the 49ers haven't been there, is that I like to go for the fourth quarter to the bar that I think is going to be more fun. So if the cowboys are playing the Saints, or you know last year it was the Rams against the Saints, I went to the New Orleans bar. Oh. Which is called the Black Magic Voodoo Lounge on Lombard. Wow, that place was crazy, and then and then the Saints blew it. Yeah, you, you what was it bad. like
2: at the end of that game? Depressed. Yeah,
0: it was really, really, really quiet. Well, they're they're <laughs> upset. They and, got the
2: yeah. whole NFL to change all of its rules, so they won
0: something out of that game. Now, to finish the thought, if you are in San Francisco, don't be disappointed. There is a good spot to watch. I think Keysar Pub is still oh, the, the old. One, yeah, yeah, that's still the spot where the real hardcore fans congregate so I guess bars are, are the theme of uh, today's discussion since we're actually <laughs> sitting in one again this is our live show we're going to thank uh, Woodbury Bar by Oracle Park but Monday night Levi Stadium every single week if the 49ers keep on winning you could safely say this is the biggest game that Levi's has seen you know as as this stadium um, finally moves toward playoff contention if you will the, the, it's a little too early to talk about that but yeah. 49ers are 3-0 the atmosphere on Monday night, I think, uh, could be at a different level here than it was even last Sunday. Yeah,
2: fans don't have to worry about the sun. Uh, that's that's <laughs> something that drives away a significant number of fans, apparently. And then I don't think that Browns fans are going to be traveling as well as Steelers fans did. So I would uh, imagine that this is a, a higher percentage of, of 49ers fans. And, yeah, you can make the argument that this is the, the biggest game that this team has had. Uh, in a long time, I remember that very first uh, opening game at Levi's against the Bears. Everybody was just stoked for the the opening of Levi's, and, and the 49ers had been coming off of three straight championship years, and and it was a letdown. They they lost to the Bears. They gave up a lot of uh, touchdowns. That remember that was Jimmy Ward's first game as a as a nickel cornerback, and he kept giving up uh, touchdowns to Brandon Marshall. It was a letdown. The, the 49ers haven't had a meaningful Big game, you know. The Jaguars win in 2017 was nice, but you know that that season was over at that point. This is this is the first really meaningful uh, large home game that uh, they've had in a while, and uh, I expect the fans to be out in force.
1: Yeah, and we saw it last week. I mean, the fans were hyped last week. I mean, I I hadn't heard that whole Niners chant probably since Candlestick. I mean, going up the the escalator, coming down the escalator, just. Channing Niners. And it, and it felt good. And we saw, you know, they had the red tiles, the I guess they're calling it the uh, terrific towel, the red waving tiles or whatever yeah, they were. I don't were. know if that's going to catch on. Yeah. Right. yeah, I don't know. Well, they had to, they had to counter <laughs> the gold pom-poms. It's kind off, right? Yeah. yeah. The terrible towel. Yeah. Well, what happened was they had the pom-poms for, for T.O. Right. And we were saw gold. that. That we, were gold. We
2: saw that. <laughs> we, we realized that was going to be an issue when we saw yeah. that five days before yeah. the game. Yeah, and they
1: were thinking, oh, we got to get something else because— the towels are gold, the terrible towels are gold, and <laughs> yeah. the pom-poms are gold. You know
2: so was, they got the red Yeah, we, we sniffed that issue out <laughs> real early.
0: I went into the crowd for a little while. I had a friend there just to say hi to him, and I, I actually was really curious. I wanted to see what the sunny side was really like. Yeah, was it that bad? It, it was hot. It was bad. It, it wasn't the worst, but I was only there for three or four minutes because I had to get back to, to work and cover the game. But uh, if I had been there all game, it might have been an issue. That being said, what shocked me was these Steelers fans would get up on a Steelers third down along with the 49ers fans and start making noise and waving their (laughs) towels. And that didn't make any sense to me. So it was really loud in the stadium for the 49ers because the Steelers had 30% of the crowd, and they're going crazy on third down. They might have helped the 49ers pass rush in that game. that means that they're
2: not true fans because (laughs) any true fan knows that you you hush down. Maybe they were delirious from the
0: sun.
1: Maybe it was a little... Uh, that could could have been
2: it. My theory has always been that those sort of the... The, the fake leather chairs that the, the very plasticky feel yeah. that that really heats up in the sun and that's what contributes to it being so hot if they were like the the metal ones and in, well in I, I think
1: sticks, I think it's the glass from the from the oh tower. the reflection from the other yeah. side it's like yeah. a frying pan I mean it gets it gets hot I mean I remember the the first season just seeing the people leave and I'm and everyone was kind of sunburned, and I, and I went over there <laughs> another game, and I was like, it, it gets pretty warm yeah. over there. I,
0: I imagine, yeah. It's it's the thing. I was nice and cooled off from the air conditioning. So only being there for three minutes, I started to feel myself warm up, and you realize, okay, four hours, this is this yeah. is not good. Well, but l- no.
1: luckily that Levi's has so much stuff that you can do inside on the corridors and things that uh, it's. It's, it, you know, even, you know, with all the different monitors, you know, people aren't in the seats, but I, you know, the people are there and they're watching the game. They're just kind of inside doing other stuff.
0: All right, guys, let's wrap up uh, the last few minutes here by circling back to the next game. 49ers Browns. We discussed the the pass rushing dynamic, Baker Mayfield against this 49ers defense. What about the other way around? I know that we also talked about the the Miles Garrett situation, how the 49ers are going to block him, but. You know, Everybody wants to hear about Jimmy Garoppolo. Everybody wants to hear about who's going to step up at receiver. How are the 49ers going to handle this Browns defense, mainly through the air? Because Jimmy, I thought, looked really good against a lot of pressure last week. I think Pittsburgh blitzed like 60-something percent of the time. Do you think the Browns are going to back off after seeing that film, after seeing Garoppolo carve the Steelers up, or or, uh, are they going to come at him? I guess my question is, is Garoppolo going to have to uh, throw into a lot of coverage, or is he gonna have to beat a lot of blitzes? Because I think it's gonna be one or the other, and he's already proven he could beat one last year. The other, the Detroit Lions dropping a lot of guys back in the coverage, gave him some trouble. So yeah. I'm really curious to see what Cleveland comes out with.
2: I mean, they're, they're such a good running team, the 49ers are. Uh, you know, before this weekend, they were fourth in the league in, in, in rushing. Uh, and this is without their their top running back or the, the guy that they consider their top running back, Tevin Coleman. <laughs> I know fans like to debate whether Coleman or Breida is the, is the top runner, but they, they do such a good job at that, and it, and it uh, creates so much space for the receivers. I mean, we saw that with Kyle Juszczyk catching a long pass, uh, uh, George Kittle. Uh, and then, you know, maybe, I, I don't think he's going to get worked in prominently in this game, but Jalen Hurd is coming back. That's another... Weapon that Kyle Shanahan has to work with. Uh, he's a guy that blocks really well in the running game. just feel like the, uh, the rushing game for the 49ers is going to open up lots of things in the passing game for them, and that's, that's how they'll sort of um, uh, manage and exist through Joe Staley's absence, that they can run the ball well, and it can also create some mismatches because they can run the ball and pass the ball out of the same 21 personnel group
1: yeah and and i agree i think you, you'll see kyle shanahan uh in the run game being creative in the run game last week we talked about uh scheming uh against the steelers and school out there on his own i think you'll see the a little bit of the same stuff because you do have you know that pass rusher out there that you kind of have to be accountable for but like you said uh uh Heard coming back. I, I can't wait to see how Kyle uses him. Yeah, me too. Him. I mean, that, I mean, he is such a powerful, and the way Debo is developing into a receiver, I think you're going to see a little more creativity as far as the passing game. And everyone's going to cover George Kittle. I mean, he's going to be double teamed, so it's going to open up a whole lot of other things in this Kyle Shanahan office. So I'm seeing a strong run game, uh, and then let Jimmy Garoppolo make some good decisions down the field.
0: All the guys that you listed, and especially Herd good blockers as well, right? And that's the key. That's what we've seen here through the past few weeks, and that's why getting hurt back makes this offense even more dangerous because these guys can be on the field. The defense doesn't know if they're going to be you know, hard-charging run blockers down the field or if they're going to be out on pass patterns. And that's why I believe, don't quote me, but through two weeks, Jimmy Garoppolo had a perfect quarterback rating off of play action this year, and I don't think it worsened in week three unless one of those picks was off play action, which I don't think it was. And they really weren't even his fault there. So he's has either close to a perfect QB rating or a perfect QB rating off play action, and that just speaks to how devastating the 49ers are block slash pass catching options are and with Jalen Hurd they get even more numerous and yeah. Kyle knows how to scheme to that he knows yeah. how to confuse a defense when he has options
1: you just imagine this offense without five turnovers yeah I mean I mean if they ain't come in this Monday night game and, and get rid of those turnovers you can see a lot of points on the board yeah
2: the, the Steelers game would have looked like the Cincinnati game without those turn- turnovers it exactly, would have been that yeah.
0: one-sided and I think that after Tampa Bay, after Garoppolo has actually stepped into his throws and looked comfortable, they've done that to two straight opponents. If you if you factor out the turnovers, yeah, his his, his
2: passing percentage is really good. I mean, it's in it's in the high sixties or something like that. I mean, it's uh, it's as good as it can be, despite all of the the turnovers that they've had a, a league leading eight uh, through three games. But um, despite those, Garoppolo has been pretty on target with his with his throws, which I think is. Um, you know, good going forward.
0: Did you guys see the all twenty-two angle, or not the all, the end zone angle? It's really impressive. I'll send it to you guys. But anybody, I'll try to tweet it out. Of there was a blitz that came, and it was you know to the naked eye, it might not have been the hardest throw, but when you watch the replay, it was out to one of the backs. It might have been Brita out of the backfield just to throw into the flat. But Garoppolo had to get rid of it because he was getting drilled, and the way he just like flipped it out sidearm was so impressive and it was vintage Garoppolo looks like a jugs machine kind of thing and and once he's doing stuff like that I think you kind of see the arm talent yeah that that Brett Favre comes out of him a little bit exactly and the confidence that he can do it yeah exactly and that's big for the 49ers because we didn't see it in the first preseason start obviously and against Tampa Bay we didn't really see it either it's taken him getting his feet wet again and they need that to continue this week.
1: Yeah, and once he gets some kind of synergy with his receiving crew, I think, you know, the sky's the limit. You know, once he finds that one guy uh, in that receiving group that he can throw the ball to other than George Kittle, I think, you know, I think this team, you're going to see a lot of points on the board. You're going to see a lot more creativity. You're going to see a lot of stuff like the Tampa game where, you know, the defense looked like they were lost because of the scheme, the way they got schemed and and everything, everything coming off that run game. So... I'm excited. Uh, I think Monday's going to be a, a big night. I think you're going to see another strong defensive showing, and I think you're going to see a good offensive showing.
2: Yeah, I think that uh, if you asked Kyle Shanahan and he was honest to, with you, he would tell you that his vision for the future of this team is Debo Samuel, Dante Pettis, and Jalen Hurd as, as the top three receivers, and, of course, George Kittle as the tight end. And I just wonder whether... We're going to start seeing that. I mean, it's not going to be be there right away. We we'll probably only see a little bit of herd, if at all, against Cleveland. But I just wonder over the next few weeks whether we're going to start to see what Shanahan envisor- envisions as the uh, the future of this passing attack,
0: health permitting. You know, that's what we've been saying this whole build up to this se- 2019 season. If the 49ers stay healthy, this is the year that we could see the vision materialize. And hey, to a certain extent, it already really is. I mean, we've seen a 3-0 and start, and there's still some pieces that are out. Don't forget Trent Taylor. Yeah. Um, you know That's going to be the second half yeah. of the season. So he's the slot guy. He, he's a guy with really good chemistry with Jimmy Garoppolo if he stays healthy, and I think that's the, the big thing that we need to emphasize leaving the show. The 49ers have had decent health luck so far this year, way better than last season. It needs to stay that way. If it does... Fortune's looking pretty good for this football team. Anyway, thanks again to Woodbury Bar. It's It's been fun. We're going to Start the to watch some of this in. football now. Crowd's yeah. Yeah, in in there the crowd's getting in. Yeah, the crowd's getting in, so we'll chat yeah. with a few people. Um, be sure to sign up to The Athletic, the Athletic.com. Here's the Catch is the name of the podcast, so you could sign up through there. And congratulations again to Dennis Brown, married yesterday. I am a married man, <laughs> and I'm
1: working the next day. That's good, right? Yeah, it's good. good. You made day. it
0: out here. You have your water. It's a healthy water. It's got some lemon in it. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, and we'll cheers to Matt one more time. And all right. we'll cheers to Dennis as well. Congratulations, Dennis. Thank Thanks you. for coming on again and driving all the way up uh, from San Jose, Matt. Uh, so for Dennis Brown and Matt Barrows, it's is David Lombardi. We'll talk to you guys in a few days on the 49ers. Here's the Catch Podcast.